Well, I invite you to turn me, turn with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah, we're going to look at uh, chapter 4 today, but I'm going to start the reading just to get some context in verse 10 of chapter 3. And you'll see there, and my title is, People Are More Important Than Plants. I hope that you all already knew that, but maybe it'll get reiterated for us this morning. Well, you remember Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh, uh, a, a great city, the nation of Assyria, an enemy of Israel. And, uh, of course, Jonah does not want to go, and he goes in the opposite direction. And God sends a storm to strike him and the sailors in the boat that they were in. And Jonah gets thrown overboard because he's the cause of it all. And as Jonah is sinking down to his death, God miraculously saves him by appointing, ordaining a great fish to swallow him and rescue him. And Jonah is snatched literally from the jaws of death by the jaws of a fish and eventually vomited back up onto dry land. And with that attitude adjustment, or really mission adjustment, we should say, because I'm not sure his attitude was all that changed, as we will see here in chapter 4, but as he had his mission adjusted and went to the right direction, he went to Nineveh, he preached throughout that great city, and the people heard the word, and they responded in an appropriate manner. And Jonah 3.10 tells us that as they repented, that God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, and angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left 
and also much cattle. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to it to us this morning. Well, every basic story has certain elements. Every every story has elements and the book of Jonah is no different. It's a masterfully told story and when I say story I don't mean that it's fiction. It's a historical account. I firmly believe that, but it's a it's a story. It's telling us the story of something. There's characters here, there's a, a plot, there's a setting, there's the conflict and resolution. We see it all here in in the book of Jonah and in any story. And really Stories are very important in our lives. We read books, we watch television shows, we go to the movies, and we, we view and read about stories. We read stories. We read about characters, we read about people, we read about relationships that they have and the conflicts and the resolutions, and there's a plot line, and something happens, and they're very important. We, we see much of our life is spent listening to and watching stories. Reminds me of my grandmother. When I was really young, she would keep me while my parents went to work, and, you know, mid-morning she had to go watch her story, which, of course, meant soap operas, and maybe you had that experience yourself. But stories are an important part of our lives, and we interpret and understanding the world in reference to stories. In stories. We, we think about life in the sense of story. We think about our lives as a story. We have a story. We're writing a story. The, the story of our lives we hope has a happy ending. Story is big to us. And in fact, in the world today, we've become so individualistic that people are making a, a really specific effort to write their stories in certain ways. And that's become a great value in our society today that, that people want to be master of their own story, write their own story. And they can even go out of, out of bounds of what is normal in storytelling of life. You know, I want to identify as something completely different than I am because I want to write my own story. We've seen that played out in the news. And even the news no longer is just a reporting of the fact, but people assign a narrative to the facts. They create a story out of the facts. It may even be a false narrative to push an agenda. And that's a big problem in our day and time, and we've all seen it happen, and we complain about it. It happens on both sides of the fence. The world has a story. You know, everybody has an opinion about the story of the world. Christians have a, an understanding of what the story of the world is. People who believe in evolution have a completely different understanding of what the story of the world is. The Christian understanding of the story of the world is, basically you can sum it up in creation, fall, and redemption. God created everything. Mankind fell. The earth was under a curse. And the long history of that is played out. The fall, the, the trouble, the sin the wars, the murder, everything that comes as a result of that. But God has not left it to its own devices. He's redeeming the world through Christ. And one day, there's going to be a happily ever after. 
the new heavens and new earth. He's going to redeem the whole world. And that's the story that we see happening. In fact, we might say history is his story. He's got a story he's telling in the world. Well, in every good story, there is a good guy and a bad guy, or protagonist and antagonist, if you want to be technical about it. And in the story of Jonah, which I would say is a microcosm of the story of the world, we see that there's a good guy and there's a bad guy. There's several characters here. There's not a lot of characters. There's, of course, God, and there's Jonah, and then you've got the sailors on the boat that Jonah uh, gets on to flee to Tarshish, and, and we've got the Ninevites. We might even throw the fish. He's a character. Uh, and maybe even the cattle and uh, the livestock because uh, of Nineveh because they are involved in the story, mentioned, pointed out there at the very last strange sentence, what odd way to end a story, and much cattle. Uh, but they are involved in the fast that the people of Nineveh uh, engage in to seek God's face and repent of their sins. So you've got all these characters, and in every story there's good guys and there's bad guys. And sometimes the bad guys are the good guys and the good guys are the bad guys. One of the movies I really like, and, it's very, and it was a... Uh, kind of a groundbreaking movie in its time was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. That's a, a fun movie. But it's one of the early movies where you see the bad guys are actually the guys, or the good guys. They're the guys you identify with that you're rooting for. Uh, you, you want these criminals, these bank robbers and murderers, Robert Redford, and, you know, he's so good looking, and you, you got to go root for him. And so the story is told from their perspective and you're rooting for, in essence, criminals. And they're being pursued through the story by law enforcement, some posse, and they're on the run and they end up in Bolivia. And, of course, that's the end of the story, the end of the line for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. But there you have uh, the, one of the first early movies where you're identifying with someone who is considered bad. Now, in this story of Jonah, the really wicked people in the story, pagan sailors, these Ninevites who were very violent, they were awful human beings. They terrorized the nations around them. They were a, a rising power in the area. They were going in and chopping off heads and raping and pillaging and murdering people a true reign of terror, they're not the bad guys in the story. But who is the bad guy? Well, that would be Jonah, the religious guy, the prophet of God. And we have kind of a Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid situation here where we see the person who's supposed to be the good guy is really the bad guy. Jonah is anything but good in this story. He's not compassionate. He's not merciful-minded, even though he received mercy himself. He's a lot like the Pharisees in the New Testament who look down on sinners, tax collectors, those people who were social outcasts, who were the wicked people, 
and they were thanking God that they weren't like those people, full of self-righteousness. And that's the way Jonah comes across in this passage. And I would venture to say that the good guy in this book, and I think this is the way we should look at it, the good guy is God. God is writing a story here. God is doing something here, and he's chosen Jonah to carry out his plans. And there's a conflict because his chosen instrument to show mercy to the Ninevites is thwarted by the man of God, by Jonah. And God turns him around through the story, and eventually, of course, Jonah ends up in Nineveh. He preaches, and the Ninevites repent. And it's a happy ending. And then you get to chapter 4. And if the story ended at chapter 3, we'd say, hey, great, that's, that's a good story. If I went and preached and 120,000 people repented, man, I would be so excited. And, but here's Jonah. He is so angry he wants to die. Well, chapter 4 is kind of an epilogue to the story with a bit of a moral to it. And it really helps us understand the book of Jonah. The message of Jonah is crystallized here in chapter 4. We've seen throughout the book that God is compassionate. God is constantly showing compassion to, he wants to show compassion to the Ninevites, which he eventually does. He shows compassion to uh, the sailors uh, who are just kind of caught in the crossfire of Jonah's sin. They're innocent party and here they are about to to be, to be shipwrecked and lose all their cargo, and yet they turn to Yahweh, make vows to him, and, and it's kind of an overflow of God's grace into the lives of these sailors. And, and you see uh, God showing compassion to Jonah. You know, Jonah's thrown overboard, and hey, God can raise up a prophet from anywhere to go to the Ninevites, but he rescues Jonah. He shows mercy, and Jonah affirms that there in chapter 2. Well, what is this story all about? Well, it is about God's story. That God is a God who reaches out to fallen, sinful human beings with his compassion and mercy, and he will not be thwarted in doing so, not even by the prophet of God. He's going to show compassion. He's going to have mercy on whom he will have mercy. He has determined to do it. And we see that here. That's God's story that he's writing, not just in the book of Jonah, but in the world as well. God wants to show compassion to people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. All those people throughout the world that we don't like, God shows compassion to them. God shows compassion to people. God shows compassion to us. See, there are other people in the world who don't like us very much. God's shown compassion to us. That's what the book of, is about, and God is determined to show compassion to sinful, wicked human beings like the Assyrians. Well, Jonah doesn't like God's story very much. He hates God's story, and he's doing everything in his power to thwart God's story and to tell a completely different story. He wants to tell a certain story that's different than God's story. 
And he's got an agenda in the story he's writing. Well, look at, look at verse 1 here. It tells us we get a peek into the, to Jonah's heart, and then we get a peek into God's heart here in chapter 4. Verse 1 indicates that Jonah says here he was exceedingly displeased with God because God relented from bringing judgment on these wicked Ninevites. Now, the word there in the, in the Hebrew is really very, very strong. It, it's, um, it's literally, to Jonah, this was evil, evil. Now, I mentioned this last week and several times in the past, that in Hebrew, when, when, the, when in the Hebrew language, when they want to express a superlative, that, that something is the greatest, the biggest, the smallest, the the, the wildest, whatever it is, instead of putting an EST on the end like we usually do, they just repeat the word twice. So when this says that to Jonah, this was evil, evil, this means this was really evil to Jonah, that God relented from this disaster. Now, evil can mean a moral evil, like some gross sin, but it doesn't necessarily have an ethical content to it. The, New Te- the, the Old Testament could say, like, for example, a hurricane would be a great evil. A hurricane is you know, not good or bad in the sense of mor- mor- morality, morally speaking. It is neutral, but it causes a lot of damage and disaster and problems. And that's why that word, that's how that word is used sometimes in the, New Test- and in the Old Testament. In fact, that's what is, that's the, it's the same word in, in verse 10 of chapter 3. Uh, God relented of the disaster. That word disaster is the word evil, the same word that Jonah uses here. So Jonah is not saying that God has done something evil. That's not what he's saying. But it's what I want you to understand. He is expressing the deepest of of injustice and unfairness, and and he is so angry about this. That idiom is used throughout Scripture. One example that I saw was where Moses, you know, the the children of Israel in the Exodus were were eating manna, and the people were sick of manna, and they were revolting against Moses, and they were complaining about the manna. They wanted meat, and they were saying, oh, we had it so good back back in Egypt. We wish we could go back. And Moses cries out to God because he hears everybody weeping at the entrance of their tents. And to Moses, it was an evil, evil. And he cries out to God, Lord, I cannot bear the burden of this people. And I wish you would just strike me dead because I can't do it anymore. You see the depth of emotion Moses had there, and that's how it's expressed. It's the same kind of emotion that Jonah had here. He just was so undone by it all that he cries out to God and he basically says, look, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that you were a nice guy. I knew that you were a good God who was loving and kind and merciful. And that's the last thing that Jonah wanted to happen. He hated it. It's dreadful when you see his heart so exposed like that. He, he knows, and that's a typical formula that we looked at last week, that God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. It's repeated throughout Scripture over and over. 
Jonah knew his Bible. He knew what God was like, and he knew what God was doing, and he didn't like it, and he wanted something different to happen to the Ninevites. Because, yes, they were enemies of Israel. They were a terrible people. And he just says, I want to die. And God asked him this question. He asked this question twice. Uh, basically, he says, do you have a right to be angry about this? Do you have a right to be angry that I'm being compassionate to the Ninevites? And then to reiterate the lesson, he gives him a bit of an object lesson. Jonah is so incensed at the whole thing, he's not giving up hope that God is going to still destroy them. The Ninevites, as I said last week, they, they repented at one guy preaching one sermon. I mean, just like that. Turned on a dime and turned to the Lord. And, and Jonah is undone. So there's, you know, his message was, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. So Jonah's going to wait the whole 40 days out just in case he gets what he wants. So he camps out east of the city hoping that God will destroy Nineveh. And so God causes this vine to grow up over his head. It's hot, and he has this booth he's sitting in that probably doesn't have a lot of cover. Uh, and the vine grows up over it, and he's sitting here in the shade, and he's nice and cool while he waits for the destruction of Nineveh. And that happens one day, and he's like, oh, this is going to be great for the next whoever knows how long until God does what I want him to do. And then, of course, God appoints a worm, and the plant just withers up and dies in the space of a day. <laughs> and Jonah, he was exceedingly glad because of the plant. He was rejoicing in it, but then it died, and all of a sudden he's in the same place he was before. It's better for me to die than to live, he says in verse 8. And then God asked him the same question. And he's making a point to Jonah. Do you have a right to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, yes, I do. <laughs> I do have a right to be angry about the plant. And what's God saying there? He's saying, look, you're angry about a plant that is here today, gone tomorrow. And, and you are so angry about this plant that you want to die, and yet you're not angry that 120,000 people, people are going to be destroyed and much cattle are going to be destroyed? You, do you have the right to be upset about a plant and not be upset about the death of these people, to not have compassion on them? Well, obviously, we don't want to be like Jonah. To be so upset about something so trivial and upset about some things that, or not upset at all about some things we should be upset about. You know, we, you think about your life, and especially in the culture in which we live, where there's so much triviality we get all wrapped up in certain things in our lives that are just small things, like sports. I think that's one of the things we've learned from this quarantine and canceling sports, 
how much we miss it and how much it's, and when it's come back how much we just love you know to watch sports and how we've you know but there's it's just a game it's just a game but yet we'll get in arguments and fights with people about our team versus your team and so forth and so on but yet the world is dying we see the world and the state it's in do we have compassion are we passionate about the state of the world in which we live i know we have a lot of angst about it but do we have compassion towards them those people the people on the other side do we care or do we just want to win the argument are we like jonah that we just want to we want them to lose we want them to have their comeuppance we want them to go down or do we pray for them? Do we have a concern in our hearts for their salvation? You know, if we, we cared as much about, you know, maybe I'm preaching to myself here because I love my team. <laughs> but if I cared as much about my team as I did about the lost, well, this church would probably be full. You know, if, if if I cared as much about the loss as I did about politics, you know, the world would be a, probably a lot different place. If, if the church really had a concern about people who don't know their right hand from their left, they don't know. We take it for granted that people should know the gospel, but not we, we shouldn't, not in this day and time. People don't know. They've not heard. They've not seen it lived out. They've seen a lot of Jonah's self-righteous, hateful people, but they've not seen people who exhibit the family resemblance, the compassion and mercy of God. And that's the story of this world. See, what, one thing that Jonah forgot was that he had received mercy. You know, he was a hair's breadth from death, and God pulled him up from the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. And chapter 2 is a beautiful psalm that he composes in a belly of a fish, rejoicing in the salvation that God has given him. Thank you, Lord, for the mercy that I've received. And yet, he doesn't think other people, specifically the Ninevites, should receive mercy. He forgot that he was a sinner. He forgot that he deserved to, to have a disaster. He deserved for evil to come upon him. He'd forgotten that, that, that the Lord saved him. Have we forgotten that, that the Lord has saved us? And you know, there before the grace of God go I, as the saying says, goes. Do we look out across the people and say, you know, they just need to hear the gospel. They need the Lord to, to touch their lives, to, to reveal himself to them that's the story of God is writing the world God is going to reach out to the lost you see Jonah wanted to write his own story he wanted to do his own thing he had forgotten that he'd received mercy and he looked down upon others but God in spite of the Jonahs in the world he will not be thwarted in saving people from every tongue and tribe and nation. He's going to do it. When Jesus said, and Jesus is 
the one through whom this great redemption is coming, when Jesus said in Luke and Matthew, one greater than Jonah is here. He was talking about himself, of course. See? One greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was sent by God on a mission of mercy to sinners, the Ninevites. He went in the opposite direction. God steered him in the correct direction. He preached. The people responded. And then he went outside the city, still hoping for its destruction. But one greater than Jonah is here. One sent by the Father, who embraced the mission, took on human flesh, came on a mission of mercy to save the lost. He went outside the city not to condemn it, but to save it. He hung on the cross there and died for sinners like you and I and like the Russians and the Chinese and the Democrats and the Republicans and the Alabama Crimson Tide fans. <laughs> War Eagle. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Unlike Jonah, Jesus came and sacrificed himself for the good of the world, that the world might be saved. This is God's story. Now, are you involved in that story? Are you a part of that story? Are you trying to live your own story or write your own story? God's got a story with a happy ending. If you're a part of his story, if you're not, it's not going to be a happy ending. The only option to have a happy ending is to say yes to this merciful, compassionate God who cleanses sinners and redeems them, changes their lives, and gives them the family resemblance, calls them children, welcomes them, adopts them into his family. And if we are part of that family, if we have embraced that, then we should look like God, have compassion on the lost. May God give us grace today to think about that, to think about our story and what are we living for? Are we connected to his story? Are we living out his story? Are we living in light of the story that he's telling, this wonderful story of redemption? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, Thank you for the book of Jonah. Thank you for Jonah for telling his story, a non-flattering story of his sin. And certainly one would assume that he got the message because he shared it with the world so that we might learn from it. Lord, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, give us a heart of compassion for the lost a love for our enemies as you commanded us to have and an obedience to the mission that you have given us 
to go and make disciples of all nations. Lord, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, change our wicked hearts, our hard, uncompassionate, unloving hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would lift us up out of our apathy, out of our hard-heartedness, and we pray, Lord, that you would help us to bear the image of Christ in everything that we do. And Lord, save us. Save, save the lost here among us. Lord, we pray that we would all contemplate our lives, the story of our lives, and, and instead of writing our own story or trying to rewrite your story, we pray, Lord, that we would submit to the story that you have for us. And thank you, Lord, that it's such a wonderful story, story of redemption. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.